Tonight we begin with a case of double murder in Somerset. Starting on Sunday afternoon, July 3, 1994, Linda Gibson, who was 21, and her four-and-a-half-year-old half-brother, Cody Lee Garrett, left her apartment, headed to a convenience store that was sent to be around a mile away. While there, Linda purchased a candy bar for Cody before leaving a short time later. After that, they weren't seen again until their bodies were discovered. Their mother wasted no time in reporting them missing, and did so the following morning. That following Thursday, on the 7th of July, their bodies were discovered. They were only two miles from their home in a wooded area. From what I've read about the case in a handful of articles, Somerset wasn't the greatest place to live at the time of these murders. From a 1994 article, neighbors to Linda and Cody said, This is the roughest place to live in Pulaski County. Further down in the article, various others say High Street specifically, where Linda and Cody lived, was prone to calls about gunshots, stabbings, and drug use. With that said, Linda was one to never partake in these things. Once more from the same article, we can see that Linda, while having dropped out of high school, was in the process of getting an education and moving forward from her current apartment into a safer place. The search for the murderer seemed to be moving fast at the time. An article published only a few days after the bodies were discovered made mention that the police had reason to believe the killer was someone close to Linda and Cody, or at least knew them on a personal level. Because of this, they also made it clear that these murders were not random. They even state they are close to arresting a suspect. Many thought that day would come soon, but unfortunately, it never has. On the 17th of July, a man from Campbellsville was arrested and charged with murder when the body of Jennifer Ann Jones, a missing woman from Columbia, was found, but this man was never believed to be a possible suspect in Linda and Cody's case. The FBI was reported to get involved the same month the bodies were found. It said in an article their purpose was to build a profile for a possible killer to narrow down who the police should focus on. Even this seemed to be of no help. In multiple news interviews and reports, it's been said the only motive someone can think of is that Linda overheard something to do with drugs in the area. Whoever she heard must have found out and worried she'd had plans of going to the police and killed her to stop that from happening. This would mean Cody was simply a bystander and could have identified the killer or killers. Linda's brother Clayton believes there were multiple people involved. He's also said that he believes someone knows something, but is too afraid to come forward. If you have any information you believe can help in this case, contact Lieutenant Bobby Jones at bjones at pulaskisheriff.com. You can also call the Pulaski County Sheriff's Department at 606-678-5145. Next, we have the case of Jennifer Bailey from Bell County. It begins on the 16th of August, 1990, when Jennifer, who was 21 years old at the time, went jogging in Pine Mountain State Park. That same day, she was reported missing when her mother and other family members went to check on her after she hadn't returned home. When they arrived, they discovered the car Jennifer had been driving. The door was still open, and her wallet was laying on the seat beside the car's keys. Jennifer's body was discovered only a mile and a half away, strangled to death. A few things of note right from the beginning are where she was jogging and where her body was found. 
According to a local news source, the path she was taking was known as the flat track, and it was one of the most common for those who wanted a quick hike or a jog. Parking for this particular area is very near a highway, so it's possible someone noticed something and just hasn't come forward. Another interesting bit of information is during the first search, a cadaver dog didn't alert to what's known as the gravel pit. Sometime later, when taken back, that's exactly where she was found. This leads many to believe that she'd been placed there after the fact. Her mother believes she was grabbed only moments after leaving her car. This would explain why the car door was open and all of her belongings were left. Well over a year later, in January of 1991, an article was published claiming two men were being sought after as suspects in the case. There are only first names given to the men, but a composite sketch was released. There was one other man as well, but he was already being held in federal prison. His name was never released. The first man, only referred to as Sam, is described as in his early 50s with a receding hairline, graying temples, and red face. He may own a silver car with rust on the sides. His accent is described as heavy southern, and he was also said to be short but muscular. The other man, Edward, was said to be in his early 20s. He is slim and muscular with curly blonde hair, blue eyes, and a thin mustache. He has a tattoo of a marijuana leaf on his left shoulder and water skis at Norris Lake. Unfortunately, as of now, that's where the case sits. These two men have yet to be questioned, and Jennifer's case is still cold. Her mother has even said she doesn't believe it will ever be solved. If you have any information you believe can help in this case, report it to the Kentucky State Police at 606-573-3131. Arthur Young Jr.'s case begins in October of 1996. It was the ninth of that month when he left the hospital despite the doctors and his close family saying it wasn't a good idea. While I'm not sure what he was being treated for, it's well known that Arthur had suffered from Alzheimer's. From what I've read, Arthur and his family got into a heated argument about him staying in the hospital that resulted in Arthur getting in his Ford and driving north on I-75 towards Ohio. On his way, he was stopped by an officer, and once the officer saw that Arthur didn't have a license, he told him that he was not allowed to drive any further. The officer gave Arthur a ride to a nearby gas station where Arthur called his family to explain what was happening. They said they would come to get him, but it wouldn't be until the following day. He checked into a Best Western near Florence, and the following morning, left, not to be seen again for eight years. His family had filed a missing persons report the day after his phone call, but police had no luck finding out where Arthur went after checking out the hotel. That question wouldn't be answered until November 16, 2004, when a Florence Public Works officer literally stumbled over human remains. The remains were mostly skeletal at this point, but were sent to the Kentucky State Forensic Anthropologist, Dr. Emily Craig, who helped shed light on who this person who was believed to be a homeless drifter, actually was. She determined he was a Caucasian male, somewhere between 45 to 65. He suffered from back arthritis and had an open chest or open heart surgery at some point in his life. She was also able to determine the person smoked filtered cigarettes. 
These findings, coupled with the keys, the hotel card, and a movie membership card found nearby, police soon began connecting the dots. Detective Walt Cooley began thinking the man who went missing in 96 could be the John Doe that they thought was a homeless man. He got in contact with the hospital that performed the surgery on Otha Jr. and found that they'd kept a sample of his tissue. Using this, it was compared to DNA taken from the remains and determined to be Otha Young Jr. While Otha was given his name back after eight years, his death has been ruled a homicide, meaning this case is still wide open. If you have any information about Otha's case that you believe can help find the person responsible, please contact the Florence Police Department at 859-371-1234. I'm placing Bardstown in its own category because there are two cases here that I feel deserve attention. We begin with Officer Jason Ellis. Jason was working with Bardstown Police at the time of his murder. It was the 25th of May, 2013, that Jason was on his way home from his shift. Like always, he turned right to get on exit 34, but when he pulled up, he saw large debris in the road that was impossible to get around and an obvious hazard. Jason stopped the car and, in the dead of night, began removing the tree limbs that were in the road. At this time, someone came behind him and fired a 12-gauge shotgun at him, killing him. Local papers ran a story of Jason's case a month following his unfortunate passing because it's quite strange that it hadn't been solved yet. In the article, they state, All previous homicides of Kentucky law enforcement officers in the decades before Ellis' killing were solved within 24 hours. They go on to say, It was never a mystery who was responsible. But, for some reason, Jason's case to this day has no answers. There are various theories, of course, with the same article stating, whoever killed Ellis seemed to know the route he took home and when he'd be traveling along it. They knew enough about the area to realize the highway exit ramp provided good enough cover nestled between brush-covered rock walls. As a canine officer, Ellis arrested drug users and dealers. He broke up domestic violence situations. Perhaps someone developed a deadly grudge. If you have any information on Jason's case, do not hesitate to report it. You can do so over the phone by calling the Elizabethtown, Kentucky State Police Post at 270-766-5078. You can also submit tips through email at elliscaseetips at ky.gov. The next case out of Bardstown took place only one year later. Kathy and Samantha Netherland, mother and daughter, were killed inside their home in April of 2014. The young women were well-respected in their community, with Kathy being a special education teacher and Samantha, who had plans of becoming a marine biologist. The details of their murder are incredibly shocking, to say the least. Kathy had been shot numerous times, while Samantha was beaten to death. Both had their throats cut open. Despite the sheer brutality of this case, police have said they don't believe it to be personal, but rather some sort of gang initiation. This tip came from an anonymous prison inmate sometime after a documentary was made about the case. Unfortunately, from what I've read, that is really the only lead police have aside from this photo. This car was seen near the house not long before the murders took place. 
police firmly believe whoever was inside is the person responsible for what happened to Kathy and Samantha. If you have any information about this car or this case in general, again, don't hesitate to report it to the Bardstown Police Department at 502-348-6811.